Friends, welcome to episode 195 of the Juicebox podcast. I just want to take a brief moment before we start and talk about Thanksgiving. This episode's going up just a few days before the holiday in 2018, and I'm seeing a disturbing amount of blogs and podcasts and people talking about, oh, it's diabetes, Thanksgiving, you can't win, just do your best, you know, don't worry about it if your blood sugar's high all day. I don't think any of that's necessary, and I simply don't like it. So if you have 15 minutes when you're done listening to this, go back to episode 139. It's a quick sit-down that I did last year that just talked about how I was going to handle Thanksgiving. Give it a try. Don't just accept that's just diabetes. Okay, so as the fourth year, that is correct, as the fourth season of the Juice Box podcast comes to a close here through November and December, and we reach 200 episodes, I want to take a minute to remind you, and me to be perfectly honest, that we couldn't have gotten here without the sponsors. Now, Dexcom and Omnipod have been with me forever, and I want to thank them for that. I also want to thank them for re-upping for 2019. Yes, very exciting. And there's some more advertisers that are going to come on in 2019. I also don't want to forget the time that Dancing for Diabetes has been spending with us. Now, Dancing for Diabetes has had their big show, but they are still going strong, doing great work for kids with type 1 in the Florida area and beyond. Please take a minute at the end of this episode to listen to a, a package piece that Dancing for Diabetes made that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put for you at the end so you can listen. I watched the video. You'll hear the audio. It made me cry. But none of this good stuff happens if you don't clicky on the linkies, right? So if you're looking for an insulin pump, you want to go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. You want to see GM? You want to see what your blood sugar is doing? I know you do. Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. And of course, dancingfordiabetes.com. That's dancing, the number four, diabetes.com. Listen closely because this is going to blow your mind. Ryan has type 1 diabetes for a long time. He wanted to be a police officer. He became a police officer. He had trouble with that because of his diabetes. He had to move on. He's trying to be a police officer again in another part of the country. While he was there, you know what he decided to do? Train his own diabetes alert dog. And more. I mean, as if you'd need more. But there is more. A chock-full episode. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should ever, ever, ever be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before being bold with insulin. And happy Thanksgiving. My name is Ryan. I've been type 1 diabetic for about 16 years, and uh, I always wanted to train my own service dog. So I, I did a couple of classes and I read a book and I got after it. That's crazy. Um, so how old are you now? 31. 31, 16. Oh, geez. This is like one of those like uneven things. Let's do 15, one, 15 years about, right? Look at me. Your story is interesting. I think in a, in, the dog is a really interesting and I definitely want to get to it, but there's, you have a bigger picture. So um, so diagnosed around, all right, diagnosed around 15 years old, uh, was there any diabetes in your family or anything, any autoimmune that makes this like not that surprising or were you guys surprised? Absolutely shocked. No family history at all. Okay. Um, pretty standard 
presentation? Were you peeing a lot? Your parents were like, hey, what's wrong? And we went to the hospital or was it, do you have a crazy story? Exactly. Nope. You nailed it. You got the easy one? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ryan, you're peeing a lot. Let's go to the doctor. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And you smell really bad too. (laughs) (laughs) What a bonus. (laughs) Where were you living? Like what part of the country were you living in when you were, when you were diagnosed? I was in Northern California. Okay. Um, so you became, you go to college? Yes, sir. Okay. And so after college, you became a police officer? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. And was that like kind of like a lifelong goal? Was that something you always thought about doing or did you fall into it? No. You know, at, at 18 years old, I thought, who'd want that job? And then as I got a little older, um, I had some friends that were cops talk me into going for it and... I actually went back to school, and that's what I ended up uh, going back to school to do. And I, I got in a little bit later when I was in my later 20s. Okay. And so you became a police officer with di- – and there was no problem having diabetes becoming a police officer. I know some people talk about that sometimes. They always say there's some things you can't do. But I know that there's a state trooper local to me that has type 1. And um, and so that was never an issue. Like going, Did you go to the academy, or did you take classes specific to being a police officer in college? Uh, I did take specific um, academic courses related to police work, and then you ha- I had to go through their academy just per their requirements, and you also have to do it to be licensed or you know to be valid through the state. Right, right. So how long are you still a police officer now? Uh, currently, I work in the private sector. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for some paperwork to go through, and I'll, I'll probably be working out here in Tennessee fairly soon. Okay, so but so that's what we're getting to, really. Is you moved from California to Tennessee, was the move anything to do with the trouble you had at work? Uh, a little bit. Um, you know, the agency I worked for, I guess it should have been a red flag when they said, uh, the doctor called me and said, hey, I, I want to hold you back three months when I was going through medical review. Mm-hmm. And it's required that everybody goes through medical review. And I, I totally get it. You know, we want people that have good A1Cs. And, and obviously, you don't want somebody passing out on a call for service when there's a, a dangerous person. Um, and they said, well, we want to hold you back for three months and monitor your glucose levels. And I, I you know, I told them, I said, look, you know, my, my A1Cs are good. I, I don't have the perfect number every day, every time, like most type ones, but I haven't had any issues. And they were like, whoa, you know, it it was like, what are your episodes you talk about? You go to the endocrinologist and you feel like the endocrinologist was like, so Humalog, is that for type twos? Is that oral? (laughs) You're like, I'm talking to someone who doesn't know what what they're talking about. (laughs) And and so they, so basically they wanted to get a baseline for you to figure out what you were doing. They wanted to track your blood sugars. They didn't want you to walk into a room pull out a gun, yell, freeze, and then fall over. And, and, and that's, what they were, that's what they were worried about. Like, hey, I'm dizzy. Would you hold this gun for a second while I pull out a glucose tablet? Right. Can we yeah. just pause this crime for a second, please? Yeah, can you do me a big favor? Don't run. My blood sugar's kind of low. If you could just listen to me, that'd be great. It's one of those days, man. Wouldn't it be wonderful, though, if that turned out to be – if the, if the yeah. criminal was just like, oh, this poor guy. Yeah, let me just get the handcuffs on yeah. for him. I'll and, jump in the back of the car for you, bud. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, okay. So there's an understandable – like, you know, there's like, – maybe they don't have a ton of, you know, experience with type 1 or maybe they do and this is just how they do it. But they put you through this review. Did you make it out of the review at some point or did, how did that go? I did. The doctor called me back and he was like, Wow. 
I've never seen anybody with such great numbers. And I'm like, come on, I, I, I'm not the perfect diabetic. I mean, right. I have good A1Cs, you know, between uh, a 6.5, give or take. You yeah. know, I'm your average uh, daily injection. Um, you know, and it, I was like, it's like, oh, no, no, you're fine. Uh, we're not going to hold you back for three months. We'll skip you through. Okay. And so you, so how long, so you become police officer. It's a, it's something you work towards all going really well. And then it doesn't go well. How long until it doesn't go well? I want people to know that diabetes doesn't define you. I want people to be inspired. And if they even have type one, that they're not alone. And that we can do anything we put our hearts to. Dancing for Diabetes wants you to know that you're not alone. If you're looking for inspiration, go to dancingfordiabetes.com. I felt a little uncomfortable the first first day of the academy. The, the guy who came up who had us do the, the physical portion of it. He was like, you know, the, the guy who trains us in our defensive tactics, sure. and they run and have us do push-ups and all kinds of fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'll make sure you can catch the guy who runs away. Although, right. Ryan, if you just drive after him with your car and just kind of give him a doink with the door, I think that works in the movies. That probably works in real life, too. So, uh, but, <laughs> but, but, but so you're going through your physical fitness right on the first day. You, you don't, you're not this guy's picture of what physical fitness is. Is that about what happened? No, I was actually no. runner-up for, like, the athletic award, but he was like, you know, I want you to keep your glucometer up here in the front of the class so I know where it is at all times. And I, I said, you know, sir, I, I really appreciate your concern, but I really prefer to keep it on me and on my at all times. Yeah. And I have my glucose levels, and if you ever need it, and if I'm ever incapacitated, which knock on wood has never happened, right. it's in my right pocket. And that, that just didn't bode well. He, so, so that's interesting. So you're you're a standout in the class, you know, athletically and and yet he he needed that meter with him for whatever reason in his mind and so did you keep the meter with him do you think that was the first time you were like where did he win where, where did that meter end up staying uh up in front of the class you made it through the class okay or did you not even get through the class because of this person no i i i was doing okay in the class um you know it was just i just told them you know, look, at times I just got to do my thing. It'll take me 10 seconds or less. Right. And he, he had gone through a very traumatic incident off duty. And he came back um, to the academy. He was gone for a couple of weeks while everything had to get cleared administratively. And I went to, I started checking my blood sugar right when, when we were done with the physical portion. I would check because I noticed I was starting to have a pattern of lows on the schedule and, and just learning the routine of the academy. And, and long story short, he yelled at me for checking my blood sugar in front of the whole class. So it just wasn't, I, I felt it was rather frivolous. Yeah. And, and so does that, is that something, how did you handle that? I guess is my question next. When that happens, where do you go from there? I was really upset. I mean, I, I was ready to take off my belt and yell at him and say, Hey, this is how you want to do it. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was really upset. I mean, I walked off and, and he walked over and later apologized. And, and he actually, after that, um, he, he was actually a great guy. He, okay. you know, later on, he just said, well, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. I thought I was looking out for your best interest. Um, and that, that wasn't the worst part. It was more actually after I graduated, you go through what's called a field training officer. You have basically, it, it would be like, you're the senior guy running the podcast. So you tell me all your tricks and how you do it. And, and this is what you got to do your paperwork, this, 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 and they evaluate you and, 
Okay. This guy, you know, he, he wrote me up for checking my blood sugar in the car and he actually documented it. And I, I like looking at the administration, like, isn't this liability on your part? (laughs) (laughs) Should he not be admitting to us? (laughs) Yeah. And then, and then one night I went to check my blood sugar in the report writing room, which is a sterile environment. I mean, it's, it's safe. It's inside the station. Right. And I'm just typing up my report. So I stop real quick and there's hand sanitizer there and I poke my finger real quick and, uh, he just goes, you know, can you not do that here? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, if I if I go into that wall as I walk into the bathroom, you're going to be out of a job. And you know, I I don't want to mask the law enforcement community. They've got a lot. Of, they've got a hard job. But sure. uh, well, do you think you know, it was a personal thing for him? Like, do you think the blood threw him off, or do you think he like was he making a a business decision when he said, "I don't want you checking your blood sugar here"? Do you think it just made him uncomfortable? Could you did you get a feeling? I, I don't know. I mean, he just yeah. wanted to scream and yell about everything. So that's <laughs> <laughs> this guy was just looking to yell, and there you were with your blood sugar, and he and you were an easy target. For him. Was he yelling at other people as well, just over different things? Yeah, I mean, he he was an interesting person. So okay, so 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 you're but you're working. I mean, you're on the street, right? And but you get written up for checking your blood sugar, which is crazy. And is is there a point then when you think like maybe I have like a union representative here or like or I don't see I, I because I think I don't think there's a wrong answer to how you handle things. I just think it's in a real world situation. It's interesting. It's like when do I rock this boat? Like do I just sit back and let this guy have his way and and try to keep the peace on my end or because you know what I mean? Because once you once you push back in a real way. You're involved in a different situation then. It's not your fault when that happens, but it still needs to be considered when you make the decision. This is how it works. You're correct. They have a very strong union there. And I wasn't off probation. I was still in training once you're out of the academy. And the union basically with that informally translates to that unless something really, really big happens, they don't really care. I told the supervisor and then I told another supervisor and they just looked at me and kind of brushed it off. They didn't really acknowledge it. They didn't document it. So I, I resigned as a result of it. I just said, you know, this job is not worth my life. It's not worth my kidneys. It's not worth my neuropathy. Or, you know, I don't want to develop neuropathy. All these yeah. Excuse me. So were you actually, so the pressure stopped you from testing when you wanted to, and, and you, you realized it was gonna, that was what it was going to be, and you didn't want to be involved in it. Now, that, dude, that, that sucks, because that's a lot of effort, right? Like, you went to school. You put in that effort. You went to the academy. You put in that effort. Like, how much time did you have into getting to that spot? Do you think? Oh, years. Yeah, it really years. sucks. I, I I don't know what to say other than that. It really sucks. I'm sorry. Um, but now you think you're you're back at it. You think you're in a new you're in a new place in the in the in the country, and you're you're looking for a job in law enforcement again. You think you're close to one? Yeah, you know, it was really interesting. Um, I can't say too much because I'm here in Nashville, Tennessee. And, um, one of my, if I sure fate would have it, um, one of my good friends I ended up meeting out here is actually works for Nashville Metro, completely unrelated, just coincidental. And, you know, he, he kind of talked me into applying. I told him very openly about my experience and he was like, well, here's the thing in Tennessee. If you do that here, you're going to get fired. <laughs> he goes, if, if that would have happened to you here, that person would have been fired, both of them. And if you would have gone and formally told the supervisor, and I openly talk about backgrounds because before you get into any capacity of law enforcement, they do a very thorough background check. Mm-hmm. I mean, they come to your house, 
they have a 50 page packet and they openly, I openly wrote about my experience and I felt like if it was going to negatively reflect me, then I don't want to be here. You know, like I, I'm more than happy to be here. I want to work just as hard, um, at athletically. I mean, I'm not a gazelle. I'm not going to make the Olympics anytime soon, but I was, I was runner up for some of it. I, I just, uh, I'm not a fast sprinter. That's what worked against me, but everything else I was pretty good at. And I, I openly talked about it and I was like, look, I was a great wrestler in high school. I was looking at going forth. I, I still do a lot of martial arts. I, it doesn't restrict me athletically. It doesn't restrict my strength. There's been Olympians as you've interviewed <laughs> and they, they didn't care. They were like, okay, well, we think you'll have a different experience here. Excellent. Oh, that's great. And I agree with what you said too, because I, I often think that like, if you just, you have to put it out there, however it is, because if someone doesn't like it, like you said, I mean, use the words I would have used. Like, I don't want to, if you don't like this, I don't want to be here. You, you know, like it's, it, why would I go through this again and, and, you know, torture myself again? Let, let's find out on day one, if you're the kind of person who's not going to want me around and let me get out of this, you know, before I even get in and waste all that time. I think that's really smart. I, I really do. And, I, and look how well it worked out for you. You found people who said, no, don't worry about that. You're good. That's, that's really excellent. So you're in the process now there. Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good for you. That's excellent. So how long is the distance in between time? So how long ago did you leave the other department? About two and a half years ago. Okay. And so did you consider not doing it in between that? And like, was it something you kind of gave up on until you met this person who talked you into trying? Yeah, um, you're pretty much right on that. <laughs> that's a shame. Well, that's a shame. I mean, it's it's it it sucks that you know. It sounds like you were you would have been one of the you know one of the leaders in that situation, and then this guy sees your blood sugar meter, and that it just sucks. It, you know, like it really it really does. I'm I'm so happy that you feel like you've found a place that's not going to be like that. Did that experience at that first apartment, did that change anything about how you felt about your diabetes or how you treated it? And like, did you find yourself being less public about it or anything like that? Let me read you an email I just received. Hi, Scott. Thank you for your podcast and for helping us to be bold with insulin. Our daughter was diagnosed in January of 2014 when she was four years old, and we've been taking pretty good care of her with A1Cs that have ranged between the mid-sixes and the mid-sevens. Yesterday, at her quarterly endo visit, we got an A1C of 5.5. We credit a lot of that to your podcast, but also to Dexcom and Omnipod. Your podcast gave us the confidence to use these tools the way they were meant to be used. Now, when I get this email, I am incredibly inspired to think that people are out there using the Omnipod the way it's supposed to be used. Temp basils, extended boluses, no tubing, not tethered to anything, feeling the freedom, living life, and getting results like the ones you heard about here in this email. It is so easy to try it for yourself because Omnipod offers a free, no obligation demo. All you have to do is go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox or click on the links in your show notes or juiceboxpodcast.com. Fill in the tiniest bit of information about yourself. It is really just your name and your address. And Omnipod will send directly to your door a pump. You take the pod and you place it on your body and you wear it for days so that you can see just how wonderful it is. Once you've decided it is wonderful, you just keep going with the process. And the next thing you know, you're writing me an email about your A1C and how it's 5.5. 
Of course, your results may vary, but the demo is 100% free and there's no obligation. So give it a try. That experience at that first apartment, did that change anything about how you felt about your diabetes or how you treated it? And like, did you find yourself being less public about it or anything like that? No, I, I just kind of figured, you know, that guy's going to end up getting what he deserves when he has to go to a court of law. He's going to have to answer to, to something because those people never last throughout the law enforcement community. You know, I mean, you might get away with it once or twice, but eventually you're going to start stacking up complaints and the laundry list is going to build and you're going to get reviewed one day. Something's going to come up and they're going to look at, um, wow, hey, Scott has about five complaints and Ryan over here has about 35 and they've been working the same district, same time. Maybe we need to look at Ryan. We'll look at that a little bit. And, but it, and also it didn't change you personally. Like really, you didn't find yourself being more private about it or anything like that. No, I wanted to go get a service dog. <laughs> I mean, I, I grabbed what canine. I ended up in this job I'm working now. I'm, I'm basically working in Tennessee. They have a very big, it's not security. You're actually considered private duty law enforcement, but they have mm. a very big industry out here for it. And I ended up getting, by sheer coincidence, paired up with some hand, some retired canine handlers that I could kind of pick their brains about, you know, guys that were trained in scent detection for, for all kinds of stuff, you know, drugs, bombs. And it's the same theory. You know, essentially our blood sugar goes, the second it goes high or low, there's a scent. So you're just applying that training in a different context. And so, so you, so you think to yourself, you know, because you said your injections, right? You still, you still do injections and do you have a glucose monitor? Uh, yes, sir. No CGMs and daily injections. Okay. So you're, you're, you're pretty old school and, but, but you, you decide you want to try to get a service dog. You found out they were incredibly expensive, I guess. <laughs> yeah, twenty to forty thousand. <laughs> that seems like overcharging. Um, <laughs> if your dog right. costs more than your car, you're in trouble. I think. I don't care what it does. By the way, <laughs> oh my god, a college education. <laughs> if you found me a flying dog, I wouldn't pay forty thousand dollars for it because I'd be like, you know, that dog's just gonna fly away anyway. So, um, but, but but so okay. So you look into it. Really expensive, and there are. This is very important for people to know. There are plenty of people who will try to take advantage of you and overcharge you for a service dog. Um, it, it, you, th the process of picking the, a reputable place is is very very important. Or you could end up with you know, <laughs> you, your blood sugar goes low, the dog pees on the carpet, and and, uh, and you're out forty grand. And you know, and but you figured out how to train it yourself. So this is this is incredible. So so first of all. What made you think you could do it? Was it having the conversations with the guys you were paired with who had done it in the past? Yeah, you know, so a while back when I was actually working in law enforcement, I had a dog search a car, and I hear this, you know, the, 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 the suspect's in the back of our, my car, mm -hmm. meaning, you know, the car's clear. And uh, the dog, I hear the handler go, no, 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 no. And I hear the dog's paws kind of like, you know, like, like if it was scratching at a door. <laughs> the dog with the steering wheel. And I worked with another canine handler that was leaving the department and he gave up his dog. He surrendered his dog. And I'm like, and that's your dog. Like they make movies about this. You don't give up your, your dog. <laughs> that's, that's like a, that's like a, a Disney movie. Yeah, you're supposed to move to a farm with that dog, I think. And uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, we could write a story or something. We could, we could really make this big. <laughs> and I, I, 
anyways, I ended up getting paired up with the guy at a job site and uh, we had some time to kill and we were waiting, we were just talking and, and he goes, yeah, I'm a retired canine handler out of Indiana. I moved here, you know, after I retired, blah, 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 blah. And I said, oh, really? I said, hey, you know, I, ironically enough, I didn't even pick him out. It was my uh, significant other, Gina. She was like, oh, uh, when, when we moved to Tennessee, it's very fr- pet friendly. And I said, you know, I want to rescue a dog from the pound. Mm-hmm. And that's where I found Baylor. And Baylor was about six years old when we adopted him. And he was a mess and he had been returned to the pound. Uh, I, I didn't know too much of the circumstances. They later on told me once I brought him in with the service vest and showed him all the videos, everything I did, the lady told me, because I promised her she cried when I adopted him. And I promised her I would take him back there and I would take great care of him. And uh, she, she told me a little bit about his background. And they just said he wasn't a good dog. He was surrendered with his brother. And they said he was really destructive. And one of the things people don't understand about working dogs is you have to have a dog that has a prey drive or high energy because if they are not, they're not going to work. Yeah. My dogs are laying around right now in two different piles. So I don't think that I could get them to do anything to be perfectly honest coming here. <laughs> if I don't want to say it out loud, cause it'll end up with me, but I don't even know that walking across the room would motivate them. <laughs> if I, there's food over here and they'd be like, eh, it'll be there later. Won't it? And so, but so what kind of dog is, uh, is, is Baylor? He is a lab, and I think he's a pit mix because he's got a big, broad chest, but he's got the the stocky legs and the long lab nose and body. So you didn't just adopt a dog. You adopted a hard luck dog. Like this dog had been given away by somebody, picked up by somebody else, and that person had come back and been like, hey, I I chose the wrong dog. Please take this one back again. And so he he was kind of a two-time loser by the time you got him. Um, And and you really changed his life and yours, I imagine. So... What's the first step? Is the first step just getting him to be like a, a better pet, like a more compliant animal, I guess, is the beginning part of it? You can't, or do you just dive right in with the blood sugar stuff? No. So the, the, what the canine handler suggested I did, because I'd taken a class for a diabetic alert service dog, and this class was actually intended for people that were interested in this charity, but we were moving from California, so we weren't going to be eligible, uh, which I found out, of course, at the end of the class. <laughs> and I'd read a book and I found online some more information on how to make samples and everything. And this guy goes, Hey, so this is what he was the retired canine handler out of Indiana that I got paired up with. And I told him all about him. And he goes, so start breaking them in off leash. I go, the dog's a mess. I go, I can't even walk him. I remember one night I was walking and he's pulling, pulling, pulling. And somehow he ended up into a car. I'm like, ah, oh, Baylor, you were wearing me out, bud. <laughs> I, I mean, he was like a parked car. How, how, who does that? <laughs> was there ever a moment in the beginning where you thought, this is why this dog's been returned to the to the so many yeah. times? Gina goes, you're going to try him? <laughs> That's what she said to me. Uh, she goes, He's, are, are you sure? And I said, hey, you know, the, the dogs aren't perfect. I've seen them work in action. I've seen them do some amazing things, and they're never going to be. So anyways, he, he said, hey, get a prong collar. And start breaking them in. He gave me some tips. He said, start breaking them in off the leash. And as soon as I started breaking them in off the leash, uh, it took about three days. And he really started to excel. Um, And then more obedience commands. Because you have to remember, I had to think to myself, like, I've taken a 95-pound dog out in public. Mm -hmm. I have to be in control of this dog. Or who knows 
you know, what could yeah. happen? Your well intentions turn into a lawsuit, and 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 the dog's <laughs> hanging off someone's leg, and you're like, you, you know, whose dog is that? And you walk away. That's how I would handle it. By the way, if it went wrong, oh my <laughs> God, someone's dog's gone crazy. Call the goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that tag got on there. That's not That's my insane. number. Saying don't call my house. No, but I mean, listen, it's very obviously very responsible and obvious. Like you can't you can't go out in the world. That's a big animal, and you know, like you said, like if he if he decides to do something you don't want him to do. That's not a good situation. So you get him. His obedience training came along pretty quickly for you. Once I started breaking him in off leash, it it started to click. And I told him what I had intentions of doing, Mm -hmm. but I was struggling with it. And he goes, "Well, this is going to sound cheesy, but once you start to break him in, and you guys do more obedience training, you guys are going to bond a lot more. And once you get him broken in more to the service animal training, if it's a good fit, you guys will really take off." And one of the things I've noticed with all the handlers I've worked with and the guys, you know, talking to them in experience and watching the ones who do work well in public with their animals, regardless what it is, is the ones that do well have a good relationship. It's that simple. Well, it makes sense. It really does. Listen, how much let's be let's, so people don't get too excited while they're listening and be like, I'm going to do this, too. I'm going to teach my my lapa, lap, whatever those dogs are called, to find out my blood sugar. So how much actual time and effort do you think you put into, like, if you had to break it down into months and hours, how much effort did it take to, to train Baylor to be a, a diabetes service dog for you? I would say approximately six to eight months, approximately, and I was putting in, I tried to keep the training sessions around... 30 minutes, sometimes an hour, Um, you know, it it just kind of depended on his attention span or I'd try to break it down to where I'd be doing uh, 25 minutes. And then I'd, I'd, if he just wasn't, wasn't having a good day, which is going to happen, then I would stop and I would say, all right, let's, uh, let's do this later. Yeah. Uh, I would, gosh, I I didn't think the hours, but it's not. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's a daily, and it's not something you do on Monday and then forget about till next week. Like it's a, it's a real constant. Um, it's a, it's you know, it's a real constant responsibility, I guess. Once you decide to do it, so what happened? Um, so, are you just still amazed? Like I would still look down once in a while and be like, oh my god, I trained this dog to do this thing. That I would be amazed by that personally. But um, like, how does it work for you in your day to day life? How does he help you? Well, I don't take him everywhere with me, um, but he helps me tremendously. Um, you know, down the road, I would like to switch to Dexcom and CGM and all that, Omnipod. Um, but, I mean, there's been times, you know, when you're having those bad days and you're chasing that high and then you're chasing that low. And what I didn't know at the time, and I thought he wasn't performing correctly at first, uh, I wanted him to notify me. I set my numbers at 80 and 180. But what I didn't realize is that they can read ahead of our glucometers and our CGMs. So, example, you check Arden's blood sugar. Um, and let's say you didn't have the Dexcom, the great technology that they, they produce. Let's say, and you check it, and she's at 85, and you're like, oh, you're going to bed, your blood sugar's at 85, this is perfect. And she's like, but Dad, I, I feel kind of funny, and I feel like I'm going low. No, 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 just ignore it, you're fine. Sure enough, 20 minutes later, she's at 40. They can detect that when I've had the, the, this doesn't happen all the time. This has happened a couple of times off the top of my head, but 
Baylor has caught me when I've been at 120, and then I didn't believe it at first. I thought he wasn't working, and then I checked my blood sugar 20 minutes later, and I'd be down going 85, and I'm like, "Yep, you're going low. Your your blood sugar's rapidly dropping." You know, or, or couldn't believe it. Uh, uh, he has um, a predictive low alerts, which is something they just added to the new Dexcom G6. <laughs> Oh wow! It's, yeah, they tell, it, when it tells you like ten minutes before you're going to get low that you're going to get low, but that's amazing that that Baylor does it too. That's uh, it's fascinating actually. What do you think he senses? Is he actually because your blood sugar is legitimately one twenty? You know, in that moment, let's say. I guess there's there's something about your physiology that gives off that it's happening but hasn't happened yet, or or is that is that is it a scent? So, yeah, all I know is in the class what they told us was the second your blood sugar goes low or the second your blood sugar goes high, you instantly produce some sort of uh, scent. Mm -hmm. And our range of smell cannot smell that. The dogs can smell approximately – I can't remember the one guy I heard out of the SEALs. He he worked with dogs in the SEAL program and – I can't remember if he said 30 times better or 300 times better, but okay. the point is way better than us, their range right. of smell. So it's, it has something to do with that. I don't know all the science. I just know how to make the samples and that that's what I'm looking for. It's mm-hmm. amazing. And so how do you do that? How do you make the samples like to train them with? Okay, I don't know if I can do this in two minutes, but the other day, and you can see this as a blog post on my website. I'll put a link to that. But the other day, Arden and I went to lunch where Arden had chicken and waffles. So using the data that we get back from Arden's Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor, we were able to go into, I'm going to look here. I want to make sure I get this right. We were able to go into the restaurant with a blood sugar around 120 and... One, two, three, four hours later, Arden's blood sugar was still right at 120. She had waffles. This was a weird meal. Waffles, potato chips with cheese, real syrup, and we never, ever once counted a carb. How did I do that? Super simple. Pre-bolused, watched the Dexcom for responses, stayed fluid, gave more insulin when needed. It's all spelled out in the blog post. It's really easy to understand there. That's at ardensday.com. It's actually, you know, ardensday.com forward slash blog forward slash waffle, but I'll put links in the show notes here. That's not the point though. The point is, if I tried to bolus for a waffle with real syrup after an appetizer of potato chips with cheese, I gotta tell you, I would have botched that without Dexcom. I totally would have botched it without Omnipod because we did boluses and temp basils and things like that. But this ad is about Dexcom. Go to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box to learn more. Or go check out the blog post and scroll to the bottom. You can click on a link for Dexcom there. If you go to that blog post and see Arden's graph from those waffles and don't think I want one of those, I'd be really surprised. So you need to have a, cl- a clear mouth. And when I say clear mouth, I mean, you can't have soda, coffee on your breath, obviously no alcohol for about 30 minutes beforehand. And you pick your numbers. So mine was 80 and 180. And then when you make that, you buy sterile gauze pads and you place them in your mouth, soak them in your saliva. Um, you'll probably have to drink some water because you'll be like, Ugh, cotton mouth, <laughs> dying. <laughs> 
and you throw them in the freezer. And then I purchase sterile six ounce bottles, similar to like a small travel carry on, like for the airport yeah. size shampoo bottles, but they were sterile. And um, I, I made three samples, meaning I made a high, a low, and I made a fake one because when I was training him, I didn't want him to just paw me for treats. So that's, that's how I did that. <laughs> that's crazy. And so you make these ahead of time and then how do you, so you just, I don't, I, I, so what's next? I take the sample and what do I do with it to, to trade them? So I just went with high and my theory was, I don't know if this is accurate and mm. I'm sure there are better people in the world that know, have more information on this. A lot of first responders I talk to, paramedics, cops, EMTs, say when a blood sugar goes high, when they have a diabetic, they can always smell it on them, which is not always true. I've never been able to smell it, but other people have. So I figured, obviously, if we can smell it, the dog can smell it plus some. It'll be so easier, I went with right? high first. Okay. And, and so you just, what do you just, like, give him the, the sample and... I don't know, like, like, uh, what's next? Like, 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 I get if you want him to sit down and you get him to sit, and you go, okay, you've sat, that's great, here's a treat, boom. But you want him to bark or come for you or something when he smells this smell? Is that the idea? Uh, so I trained him to paw me, and mm -hmm. the theory was that way. If I'm in public, he's not distracting, or if I ever had to take him into a business-like setting or right. a play, or I don't know, the movies, who knows? Yeah, and so, so, so you're in bed tonight, and your blood sugar goes over 180. The dog wakes you up? Uh, That's the one thing I could never get him to do. There's been a couple times he's barked at me in the middle of the night. Right. It's very rare. Okay. But they do tell you that with concealing yourself in your covers and also he's always been a heavy sleeper. Mm -hmm. I mean, if someone breaks into this house, I would be surprised if he just sleeps it off. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that's just always how he's been. And I adopted him at six. He's now, I think he's, Seven, eight, I don't know, right around there. Right. But he's always been a sound sleeper, and he's a little bit of an older dog. What, looking back on it, I would have actually woken up in the middle of the night and woke him up. And, and once I got him dialed in with the training, with the pawing and the smelling the samples, you could have I would have actually done step. that. Yeah, I see. Well, listen, I mean, it's, there's a lot to think about, I guess. And so when you're low, do you know you're low? Like what number do you feel your lows at? Most of the time, you know, every once in a while I'll catch them real early. I know I'm starting to feel a little funny. Um, like this morning I, I worked nights last night. So mm -hmm. I woke up right before talking to you and I, I kind of felt a little funny. Baylor's got to go to the bathroom. So he's distracted by that. Goes to the bathroom, comes in the house, pause me. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, um, I better go check. And I check and I'm at 85. And it's like, okay, I know based on my training, based on my experience, you know, it's like you with Arden. You're like, oh. Our blood sugar always likes to drop at this time. Right. And now I just kind of have uh, a poor man's Dexcom. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, no. I, it, it's, it's, uh, it's funny how you, how you learn, though. Like, really. Like, after having experiences over and over again, you really do get to that. I always think of it this way. You know, I see people talk about, you know, Dexcom has a, a warm-up period, right? You put it on and you wait two hours before you can start using it. And... I always hear people like, oh, this is the worst, these two hours. And I, I don't feel that way anymore because I have a reasonable expectation that I understand what's going on. And with a couple of finger sticks, I can I can still actually maintain the same, you know, sort of like the same basic rhythm that I had with the CGM I can have without. Now, you know, could I do it all day like that? I could, but then I'd be testing again like a lunatic and thinking about it all the time. 
But I do think you learn from your experiences, and I think that I think that makes total sense. So you're falling, you feel it, but if you don't feel it, he comes and he has he ever come to you and you've been so low that you kind of can't um, care that he's with you and and pawing at you, or or does it does it yeah. always help you move along? That's interesting. So one time. Right after we we had just bought a house and we were in the process of moving and it was the first time we bought a house, Gina and I, and you know you know how stressful it is, you know yeah. you, you underwriting insurance, all that fun adult stuff. Not. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, I just got my taxes today. I know what I owe, so uh, oh. I'm, I'm 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 not doing great with being an adult today either. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. And um, anyways, Gina was working nights at the time. And there's nobody else home. And uh, I, I got off the couch, and I felt a little funny. And I didn't think much of it because I was focused on unpacking, and I got to work tomorrow, all these things. And as I walk away, Baylor paused me in the back of my calf. Mm-hmm. And I thought, honestly, he kind of fell, or it was a fluke, or I didn't want to believe him because I was trying to get my other stuff I needed to get done. And then I walked into the kitchen. He follows me into the kitchen, and he starts staring at me, starts making eye contact. And then he kind of starts walking towards me, and then he doesn't quarter me. Like, when I say that, people think he's growling, and he's trying to, no. He then gets a little bit more aggressive and comes up and starts cutting me off. Mm-hmm. And then he paused me again when I stopped. Um, and, and that's when I said, okay, you need to check your blood sugar, because he, he's getting awfully aggressive about it. Meaning, right. he's, not, he's not getting aggressive in the sense of he's not growling, he's not I snarling. Understand. He's making eye contact with me. He's giving me all these signs. Right. And uh, sure enough, I'm I'm glad he was there because I was I think I was at forty or, or or not a good number, forty or sixty. Right. And it's so the lower you got, the more aggressively he he's trying to get your attention. It's so like cutting you off, like you're trying to walk, and he's like, no, you can't walk away. We haven't done the thing with the blood sugar yet. So when does he stop? So your blood sugar is low when you test. Does. Does he, I don't know, what's the next, like, does he see you test and then leave you alone after that? Or does he kind of stay with you and, and keep reminding you about the low blood sugar until it's back up again? No, typically he'll leave me alone. And the one thing I've noticed about dogs, especially working with them, and I trained a couple dogs after this, not for, for diabetic alert, but they're very receptive to our patterns. So you grab your keys. The dog thinks, oh. They're going to take me out. They're leaving. Maybe I can con them into getting me into a walk. Yeah. You grab their leash. They know they're going to go somewhere. And I've noticed that with Baylor, that after he sees me grab my black glucometer pouch, he, he seems to leave me alone. He'll sometimes still come up and paw me a little bit. But um, for the most part... That's what part, he expects. That's what he's trying to accomplish, to get you to pick up that pouch. Yeah, and I didn't yeah. teach him that. Um, right. That he was just that kind up. of what came with the territory once we started working together more. That's interesting. After all the work and everything, and you have, is it a benefit? Is he a real benefit in your life, or have you ever looked back and thought, "Wow, I, that was more work than it's been worth"? Or I, I you know, I, I'm interested to know, like, how valuable do you find having a dog? With- yeah, my my only regret is that I didn't do it sooner. It's a big, so it's a big. Even now, can you imagine a day where you have a glucose monitor and you think, "I don't need the dog anymore," or do you have, or, or do you think you don't have a glucose monitor because you have the dog? Um, I don't have a glucose monitor because I like to do a lot of the mixed mar- a lot of the martial arts and jujitsu, and I'm worried it will get torn off during, um, like live sparring and stuff like that. And I'm also going to wait to see my insurance where that goes. 
But I have heard that when people switch to things like what you're talking about, CGMs and Dexcoms, that people that have had dogs in the past and have that, they stop going low and they stop going high and the dog stops working. Oh, the Dexcom breaks the dog. That's interesting. Like, because it takes away, because once you, so now it's in, that's an interesting idea. So once you don't have the highs and lows and the variability anymore, because the technology helps you get past that, then the dog's like forgets all about it because it, it's not happening as much. That's interesting. Well, they, they say sense. that, but it could you know, happen. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. worked with a guy too that said he had to get his dog recertified. It was a drug dog. And he was like, um, Hey, you know, I hadn't had a bust. I'll, I'll keep it PG cause I know it's his family. Um, I haven't had a bust of this type of stuff in a long time. I'm really nervous about my dog getting certification certified cause they have to get certified for a certain accuracy. Okay. And sure enough, the dog walked in the room and nailed it right away. Okay. So I, so I don't know. You don't it's know if it could happen or what not. they say. Yeah. Right. But still, it's still an interesting concept that the idea that you could kind of, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it kind of you know, concept with anything, really. I guess you don't, you know, if you don't do it enough, it goes away a little bit. My name is Elizabeth, and at 10 years old, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Shortly after, inspired by my middle school dance class, I came up with the idea to host a show to raise funds and spread awareness about diabetes and dancing for diabetes started and has grown ever since you are only about 10 minutes away from hearing that entire recording i'm telling you it is spectacular dancingfordiabetes.com dancing the number four diabetes.com you're married or you're you guys are just together or you're married uh, we're, we're trying to get together that we're going to wait probably till after, um, till after I get through all this fun Academy stuff and gotcha. the schedule pulls down and I can get time off. But you own a house, you live together, you live together for a while. I was wondering like how, how involved is issue with your, with your care? Like, is that something you share with another adult or is it something you keep to yourself? No, Gina will definitely tell me at times if she, she sees something like, Hey, I think you need to go check. But other than that. I mean, I, I try to do everything myself. And, yeah. and with Baylor, I specifically wanted to train Baylor because who the dog typically trains with is who they're going to bond with. So I told her, I was like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to do anything. Um, I mean, she'll take them for walks here and there, and she'll take them out to go to the bathroom. But beyond that, I, I mean, I was the one who really wanted them. So. Yeah. I was just trying to decide how my wife would feel if we had to take my daughter's insulin pump for a walk. If. <laughs> <laughs> he's sort of like your diabetes tack, right? Like, I, like, what would I do if I had to like clean up and feed it? Like, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> does does having a service dog preclude him from being a pet, or do you do you get both of those worlds? You do get both those worlds. Um, you know, so so here's the thing with learning dog behavior: when dogs aren't working, they're at home, and that's when they get to be a dog. That's when they get to. Um, he's, he's actually good friends with their cat, Rainy. Mm. <laughs> they're, they're, they're buds. They play tag outside. And at certain times, um, yeah, he's an absolute pet. I mean, he's, if he jumps on the bed and he's laying there and you're watching TV, yeah, he's a pet. He's laying mm. next to you. You're petting him. He's happy. But the thing is, when he's laying on that bed and he's next to you, the chances of that dog working is minimal to none because they work for your affection and your attention. Oh, I see. So if he feels connected to you at the moment, he might be less apt to to do the work that you've trained him to do. Correct. And that's what they tell the you about. Okay. 
Yeah, and one of the first things that organization does is like, let's say you and Arden want a dog. You guys go through the paperwork. You guys, okay, you're selected. They take you out to the beach with allotment of dogs, and they see which one you bond with. And it works the same way in police, military, typically. They don't just take a dog and say, hey, this dog's yours, Scott. This is going to be your dog. They pair it up with your personality, what they think, and how you communicate, and how this dog is, and their their profile, and what they think is going to be a best fit. I see. I see. Well, that makes sense. I mean, it's like a dating uh, situation. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just go. You can't just point from across the room and be like, "You, you'll work," because that you know it doesn't work that way. You got to find. You got to find a bond. You got to find you know common ground. You know something to start with, right? Some some something to something to build on, not just you look good to me or I like what color that dog is. I guess I'm wondering about like uh, with just managing with shots and everything. Cause it's interesting. Cause you talk about would you know, like a pump and you would like, you know, maybe a glucose monitor and a pump, but at the same time you don't have them um, and you do have some lows. So what do you think is the biggest, I don't, I don't know. What's the biggest impediment when you're doing injections? Like what do you find to be the thing you wish you could make go away? Oh, Lantus, you know, versus an, uh, a pump, as you know, you can adjust to uh, your needs and everybody's needs are going to be different. So that's, right. that's a great thing versus Lantus, you know, you're either slave to, if it's like you have seasonal allergies and it shoots sky high on you, you're kind of stuck with that, that mm-hmm. dose versus if you're going low all the time, then you're slave to eating every two hours or every 45 minutes or who knows, you know. Yeah, and so so you think the basal insulin is the is the thing you would like to to have more control over the most. So, what is what's the thing about injections that you like the most? Like, what do you think you'd miss if you went to a pump? Uh, I would just be worried about it getting ripped off in either the line of duty or or um, during grappling practice. Um, I did have about ten years ago. I had a mini med pump. Okay. And I was so lean. The problem was I had to do the, the child's um, inserts, and they were metal. They were the yeah. ones. And if I didn't use those, they would kink. And then, of course, when I went to practice, those hurt really bad, especially mm-hmm. um, in any sort of aggressive sparring. It, it was really difficult. Well, I would say that things have changed pretty significantly since then. Um, I, I get your concern. I, I really do. I think that you would easily be able to, I mean, if you chose an Omnipod, you've mentioned it before. If you chose that, I think you'd easily be able to put it somewhere where it, that wouldn't be an issue. Um, I know some kids that play like football with them and they'll like, uh, there's like this band, I don't know if it's called a band, but there's a wrap you put around it on your arm, for instance, that keeps it from shaking and pulling off when you get tackled. Um, when my daughter knows she's going to go play softball, sometimes she keeps it more on her stomach um, so that it, uh, you know, like it's just, it's not a place where people grab it, grab at you or touch you or something like that. I think it would be something that you would find that you'd look back one day and think, oh, that wasn't really a big deal. And I, and I only bring that up not to sell you an insulin pump, but because I think you fall into a really interesting category. You've had diabetes for 15 years. Um, you had an experience a while ago with a technology that's a lot different now. And and you're and you're it's working for you. What you're doing is working for you, and you're comfortable. I just I always get concerned. I always try to stay cognizant of the idea of I don't want to look back one day and think, 
what did everybody move forward and I didn't notice? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. you, you still know what it's all about. Um, but I, I saw it with a friend once who, you know, did his injections, his injections, and injections, and then a couple years ago, finally even just got away from the old insulin. It was at Novolog. Couldn't figure it out, didn't know what they were doing. Uh, it was a real, like, you know, a, a real hardship for him. And But I think had he moved along, like, I would not switch for the sake of switching. Like, if a new pump came out tomorrow, I wouldn't just be like, oh, give me that one because it's new. But, I mean... You know, and I think Omnipod and Dexcom know this very well about how I feel. If somebody comes out with something that's that much better than what they're doing, I would have to look at it because I would want to. I would want to stay current, and hopefully, these companies that I like so much stay current on their own, and staying with them is staying current. But I, I, I don't want to get into a situation where I'm like I'm the old timey like diabetes person who's like I have this and. People are like, yeah, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> so um, I just I wouldn't want you to get caught in that space, like that mindset of like this is good enough because some of the new stuff is is a lot better, in my opinion. You know. Yeah, I I do want to check it out. I'm gonna wait to see if I get hired on here, and then of course that's one of the things I thought about in becoming a, a peace officer. You know, working for the government, you're not really good medical. Yeah. So that's one of the things I, I'm going to kind of wait and see what's up through the academy because your life changes a lot after that. But uh, I'm going to try to go in and check that out. There's, Ironically enough, I met a, a really nice young family and they had, I think he's about one or two, and he's just been newly diagnosed type one, not in the family at all. And they're going to go um, Omnipod, Dexcom. And I turned them on to your show too. I said, hey. Oh, thank you. Listen to a show. It's it's got a lot of great information. I mean, I don't even have an Omnipod, or and I've learned great stuff about it. Stuff I didn't know. So, well, that's uh, excellent. Thank so you. you. Fu- no, you're please. You're it's very much my pleasure. So that's interesting. So even though you're not using the technology that we use, the stuff we still talk about is still valuable for you. Absolutely. I mean, I love learning about new technology. Um, I just can't figure out Skype to save my life, but <laughs> we got on eventually. I worked till five in the morning. All right, give me give me some slack. <laughs> I, I actually think you're doing great. I actually think you've got that good um, like I'm tired energy going right now, which is <laughs> it's just you you trying to stay awake. But um, but so do you have something? Does something pop into your head like something we talk about here that you were actually able to? take into your own life that's not technology related, like like kind of maybe one of the tenets of the ideas that you use with just injections? Yeah, no, totally. Um, you know, I don't know why I never put this together. So when I was on the insulin pump, they always talk about pre-basal or, or um, right? Pre-bolus, awesome. thank you. Yep, yeah, yeah, sure. And I'm like, oh, man, oh, my blood sugar's high again. I took a bunch of insulin, and then it never, my numbers never come out right when I eat carbohydrates, and my blood sugar's high. Oh yeah, maybe I should apply that technique to this too. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's 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 hilarious because it's just it's it doesn't have anything to do with the pump. Like it's called pre bolusing, but you could pre inject just as much, you know. And uh, in the end, it's just it's just that concept, right? Like if the insulin doesn't start working right away, you need to give it a chance to 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 sync up with the carbs. Arden and I just had a, a I would say a, a pretty serious conversation yesterday for the first time like I am very much just sort of like she picks things up as we go as we go and I don't sit down and you know I don't give her like now here's your diabetes lesson you know I we I've never done that with her um but yesterday it just became clear to me that I needed her to kind of move along with me a little bit and so I sat her down and I I gave her a bigger overview than 
she had had in the past, I guess. So she's, you know, closer to 14 than 13. And she came down the other day. And I had been taking care of her blood sugar as as I would. And she came down for breakfast. She was hungry. She said to my wife, you know, um, I need to eat. And my wife hasn't had not been involved with the blood sugar at all. And my wife took the words, I need to eat as I'm low. And my daughter just meant, I'm really hungry. <laughs> and so... And so my wife sort of like, she didn't panic, but she very quickly made her food that was, you know, higher in carbs situation and not anything different than what we normally would have eaten, but she didn't pre-bolus her because she thought she was low and, and it just all kind of happened really quickly. And so I came back into the room and I was like, Hey, what's going on? She's like, she's going to eat this. And I was like, okay. And I started to pick up the thing to give her insulin and the food was ready already. And then our blood sugar shot up and we spent a couple of hours getting it back down again. It was not easy. You know, it was one of those crappy roller coaster situations. And so later in the day I sat with Arden and I said, look, you have to understand that just because me, you know, you, just because someone says it's okay, here's the food. You, I said, you still know. Right. And I was like, you know, and she's like, yeah. And I said, you have to pre us for that food. I'd say, it's never going to work out if you don't. And she's like, right. And I said, what you needed to stick up for yourself a little bit there. Even though it's mom, you had to, you, you needed to tell her, hey, wait, I don't think I can just start eating this right now without this insulin. And, um, and I showed her some of the, the reasons why. And she was really receptive and, and understanding of it. I didn't overwhelm her with it. I didn't scare her with it. But I did, I gave her more information, more real information about diabetes than she had had in the past. And I'm glad I did because I saw her handle it maturely and, you know, it, 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 it sunk in a little bit. So I, I think every once in a while I might, I might do that. I might, you know, just let her have it slowly, slowly. But every once in a while, when I see something like this, I think I'm going to have to step in and do a, like a 15 minute, like, you know, masterclass on it. Like just here, here's the important things you need to know. Uh, I, I think it's really cool that any of that's helping you or anybody else, but, um, but it's great that you can apply that stuff with injections still. Well, yeah, and I mean, I just, how much you're helping, how much this show is helping this family. I mean, I can't imagine having basically an infant and not knowing anything about the disease, not having a background in it, yeah. you know, and they're, they're doing great. And it's, I don't know why we're stuck in the stagnant of, well, you got to be diabetic for a year to get a pump. I mean, that's the, that's the dumbest thing ever. You know, there's, I want to see the support that, that says, you know, you shouldn't have a CGM. I think they should, if you're insurance and you can afford it. I think it should be a policy. You leave with the CGM. And if you choose not to use it, that's fine. But we're going to write you the prescription, and we want you to know that this monitors it. And this, yeah. this, this. I don't, I don't know why. And that's what they're kind of I, – I, they didn't allude to anything negative, but that's what they're dealing with right now. They're like, oh, well, we're going to – it's like, why, why are we putting on the daily injections? You know, the, 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 he's in an infant stage. He can't talk. Mm. No, I, I, I listen. It's just an old time idea that people hang on to. Like you have to have this for a year, and then you can have this. In the end, it's a pump. It's a needle. Why does it matter how the insulin gets into you? It really, it really doesn't. By the way, <laughs> like, yeah. what, what's the difference of how it happens? I like that. Like, once you figure out how to drive it like this, then we'll give you brakes. Well, you know what? The brakes would be nice to have on day one if you don't mind. Right. Like, 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 <laughs> it's, so if I can uh, if I can throw this rock out the window on this chain and bring the car to a stop without hitting anything, then you're really going to appreciate how great I understand how this car works. And I it just it's a simple idea. It's 2018. This stuff exists. If your insurance covers it, and, if, and like you said, if you want it, 
then it should be available to you. You shouldn't have to fight for it. You shouldn't have to go home and have some terrible experience and some struggle because somebody's giving you this arbitrary number you have to wait. And by the way, I tell people all the time, if anyone's listening, you don't have to abide by that. I, I can count on my hand four people in the last couple of weeks that I've spoken to who all ran into the same thing and I gave them all the same advice. And I can say that this was advice. I said, just go back and tell the doctor, I don't, it's nice, I, I'm, thank you for your concern, but now write the prescription for the insulin pump. And they always do. No one fights you. Like, it's just, it, it, it goes to show you how little the statement, oh, you have to wait a year. It's, you have to wait a year. No, I don't. Oh, okay, here you go. Well, why, if it was so important, how come I got the script from you by saying, you know, by fighting with you for five seconds? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it just, it just shows itself for how, how random the idea that you have to wait a certain amount of time is. Right. I mean, when we get our license, they don't sit there and say, drive for a year, get in an accident, wear your seatbelt. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I honestly do think CGMs, you know, obviously in the artificial pancreas and, and all those things are the technology is only working to improve us, improve our quality of life, lessen your chance of neuropathy. I mean, my last A1C was a 6.3. That's excellent. And I'm lucky that I had that. But there's going to come a day where I'm going to have a really, really stressful, I'm going to have some stressful months ahead of me. And, you know, why not take the advantage point? You know, why not? It, 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 listen, I don't, you, you'd want to give yourself every opportunity, I would think. And then from there, you'll decide how valuable it is or isn't for you. Listen, maybe you'll get a pump and just say, you know what, I was okay with insulin injections. I should, I'm going to go back to it. You very well may do that. Um, but you should at least try to know. You know what I mean? Like you can't just assume that it's going to be one way because it really you're just using your imagination to think up reasons not to do it. Seriously. I mean, I, I completely, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm totally not coming down on you. I think you can tell that from our conversation, but I think some of the reasons you are worried about a pump are just you making up reasons why, why it's not going to work out because there are plenty of people who do martial arts with an insulin pump. You know what I mean? Like, so It'll work out for you. It's just something new for you. When you see it, you'll 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 decide. But I think you'll have a good experience. So yeah, and it gives me an excuse to buy an iPhone, an iWatch. So hey, you know what? More fun, <laughs> more fun stuff that you can. I, I I wrote off on our taxes this year our cell phone bills and the purchases of iPhones for medical devices. So, right. <laughs> I mean, it didn't stop me from owing money, but it helped a little bit. <laughs> Um, yeah, so right now, we're right up on an hour. I just want to ask you, is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to say that, that I made it be didn't hit for you? No, uh, thank you for doing the show. Um, it's easy to follow. And I mean, it's, 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 it's an honest, the thing I love is that it's honest, candid information. And it's basically kind of like what I did with Baylor. Look, this is what I did. It worked for me. Yeah. And if it helps you take it. And if it doesn't, Find something else. <laughs> yeah, right on. Yeah, don't get stoned. If this isn't working for you, don't stick with me. Go somewhere and figure out something that does work. That's uh, it's amazing advice. Um, I appreciate that. I I really do. I'm so, I'm super psyched that you found the podcast and that you came on and told your story about training your own diabetes alert dog. Now I've got like a DIY uh, DIY pancreas episode, uh, artificial pancreas episode. Now I have a DIY. Uh, training dog <laughs> that's the, i never thought that would happen um <laughs> it's it really is dude it's commendable about the effort and the, and the focus you had for it so good for you are you let me ask you are you that way in other parts of your life or did just having this dog mean that much to you you were able to put the time into it 
No, when I like when I want something, I'm like it's gonna happen. Okay. It's gonna happen. <laughs> I, I gotcha. I gotcha. This is a big. It's a big undertaking. There's, I mean, just to decide to train a dog like that is, especially when you, especially when you live with a, a woman who eventually would look at you and go, "Oh, we have this big lump in the corner now that does not check your blood sugar and is just eating a bunch of food and crapping all over the yard." Yeah, and you inside the house gonna, sometimes. Yeah, you said this was going to be a diabetes alert dog, and it seems like it's a pillow in the corner. <laughs> so that's excellent, man. Good for you. I, I, I want to tell you, uh, I hope you have a lot of success with the, the new job endeavor. I hope you get on the force uh, in Tennessee, and, um, and I hope you can fall back asleep after doing this because I know you're probably tired. <laughs> well, great. Well, hey, Scott, thank you so much. I mean, you know, your podcast, just like that new family, you know, when, when I was first diabetic, there was no, there was no check your podcast and let's share information. There was no, Hey, this worked for me. Hey, you know, when I switched to this and this, I had this problem. I didn't know there was a two hour warm up period. And that's great. Cause now I go in with these realistic expectations. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. No, I, I think a lot of what you see people complain about online, whether it's about technology or just, you know, anything really things you do pre-bullishing anything like that is they get this like you said there's a preconceived idea that this is going to work like this so when it doesn't instead of just seeing it still for the real benefit that it is they see it as like some sort of a failure and so i think you're right having all the information you can have is uh is is always a valuable idea thanks so much to ryan for coming on the show and sharing his life with type one his diy dog and everything else Thank you, of course, to Dexcom and Omnipod. You can check them out at Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox and myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Don't forget about that blog post I told you about where you can see Arden's graph from the waffles and you can see how we bolused, where we bolused. I want to wish you all a happy, happy Thanksgiving and remind you to hang out for one more second to hear this from Dancing for Diabetes. You can find out more at DancingForDiabetes.com. My name is Elizabeth, and at 10 years old, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Shortly after, inspired by my middle school dance class, I came up with the idea to host a show to raise funds and spread awareness about diabetes, and Dancing for Diabetes started and has grown ever since. Raise your hand if you have type 1 diabetes. operate a variety of programs year-round through Dancing for Diabetes, but my absolute favorite is our Kids and Teens Dance Program. All the kids and teens have type 1 diabetes, it's free, it's open to everyone in Central Florida, and it's a lot of fun to see these kids and teens get together and they get to build these support networks and become free with their diabetes. Everyone in the room gets it, and I think that's really empowering for the kids and the teens in the room to be in an environment where they can still be a kid, but also be cared for and take care of their type 1 diabetes at the same time. What comes to your mind when I ask you to describe what type 1 diabetes makes you feel like? Not what it is, but what are words to describe diabetes? I don't like diabetes because a girl at my school, she made fun of me and Michaela because we were diabetic. Hmm. It's been a little embarrassing and it's really hard to get through and I don't really like it every day, but I battle through it because it's for my health. It's the only way I'd be here right now. Uh, I don't like diabetes, but it does make me stronger. It kind of makes me feel free. What scares you about diabetes? 
lows. Yeah, lows. Yes. Why is a low blood sugar scary? Some lows, they just come right away, but I've had lows where I could be low for over an hour. Yeah, and you like, don't and, you, you're like really and you keep treating it, and like, there, there's been times where like I'm 60, and in the next 15 minutes when I should be like in the 100s, I'm 42, and it's like, it's scary. For me, I was like feeling in my legs and everything, like you're losing consciousness. That's a lot of times what it feels like for me. You're either like really tired or really hungry. Like you're just like really drained and you can't like really fatigue anything. But ultimately, what's the, the worst case scenario of low blood sugar? I think that being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes forces kids to grow up a lot faster than their peers. So I think that this dance program allows the kids and teens an opportunity to be a kid, but at the same time, see others that are their similar age and see how they're managing their type 1 diabetes, how they're making their decisions on their own. So I think that while the dance program offers the kids the opportunity to, to be kids in that class, they also get the opportunity to learn from others that are in their exact same situation. How many times do you get to be around this many people with type 1 diabetes? These peoples and these peoples. <laughs> Here and one other place. One other place. Only here, yeah. yeah. Those of you that said when you you are hanging out with others who have type 1 diabetes, where did you meet those friends? Here. Here? Here. What has been your favorite part about dancing for diabetes? I think like meeting new friends like others that has like the same disease as you and learning more. Yeah. Absolutely. Finally feeling comfortable like, yeah. in a room. And like later in the year, like when people get closer, we're like, oh, are you okay? Like I heard your Dexcom. We're like, are you okay? I heard your pump go off. Like it's kind of cool. We're all like the same. And like there's nothing to like be uncomfortable about. The show is incredibly entertaining and inspiring. But the best part is when the kids and teens walk out on stage and get to perform what they've been working so hard for and remind us why we're all here and why we're working so hard year round to ensure that they have better lives and one day don't have type 1 diabetes. What do you want people to learn the night of dancing for diabetes? Know that diabetes doesn't stop you from doing anything. To know that we are not alone and we are strong. My hope for all the kids and teens in our dance program is that their type 1 diabetes will never get in their way, it will never stop them from achieving any goals or dreams that they have, and that they will feel empowered by their type 1 diabetes to do more, to do better, and to do well for everyone including themselves. On the night of the show, I want people to know that diabetes doesn't define you. I want people to be inspired and if they even have type 1, that they're not alone and that we can do anything we put our hearts to.